Amen. Thank you, Ian, and good morning to everyone. Just uh, great to see both familiar and unfamiliar faces, and uh, particularly to those of you who are visiting with us, just wanted to say it's, uh, it's great to have you with us this morning as we worship. It is uh, one of those uh, very interesting, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't sort of uh, remember uh, uh, a situation quite like this, but it's uh, interesting The Boxing Day is the last Sunday in the year. So you're trying to combine uh, both a sense of um, wrapping the year up um, and also a sense of still uh, living under... The, the, the sort of auspices of the Christmas story in, in some ways. I, I guess uh, there would have been a number of notable deaths in 2021. And uh, depending on your particular area of interest, or uh, as Ian was sharing, some, some of us have had the um, difficulty of um, experiencing death in our own context and families... And I, I think as the end of the year is with us and the news reels are going to kind of wind back the time looking at the review of the year, Prince Philip's death probably would remain as one of the most impacting, uh, at least in our context here. And one of the things that I found very fascinating is just listening to at the time, uh, in between his his death and the funeral, of listening to many stories that people were telling about his own life. And the ones that I particularly enjoyed were personal stories, things that people were able to say, uh, either an encounter, an example, something that uh, he would have done that we would have not been aware. And they were particularly moving and very powerful and often revealed... Uh, perhaps a side that is hidden and unknown and unseen. I guess it's not a bad thing at the end of the year, as we're doing a little bit of a retrospective, to think of the highs and the lows that we've experienced in this year. Perhaps to think of, as we heard in the two stories uh, from Hannah and Ian, of maybe the lessons we've learned in the year that we've experienced. Maybe the mistakes to be avoided and the opportunities to be embraced. There is that chance uh, at this time of the year to do that. And what I want us to do is just to focus on probably a little bit of a side passage to, to the Christmas story a little bit further ahead, uh, moving away from the manger, if you want, into the next stage of Jesus' life, but still one of the narratives of Jesus' birth that is so important. I want to look, if you'd like to open the Bible with me, in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at just a few verses, verses 36, 37, and 38. And I want to look at a life well lived. A life well lived. Not sure what you would want to be said about you at the end of your journey on earth, but I think all of us will have that appointment. It will come to all of us sooner or later. I'm not being morbid. I'm just being realistic. Like, just like birth, death is part of the journey of life on this earth. And it's going to be an experience that we will all have. 
And this is maybe a good question at the end of a year to ask ourselves, what would we like to be said about us? Well, here is somebody's life that was lived well. And I want us to look at Anna and some of the lessons that we can find there. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 38. This is happening around the time that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple uh, as it was required. And there they met Simeon and also Anna. And here is what we find about Anna. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping and fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's surprising that when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, the two characters that meet Jesus are unlikely protagonists. If me and you would write a story, we would probably choose some high-ranking politician, uh, somebody who would have been particularly famous on social media, influencers if possible. We would have probably looked at some theologians or priests, because that would have been the suitable expectation. And instead, what you find is, unlike the protagonists, you find two elderly people. And there is nothing, either in terms of social influence, or political influence, or even in terms of religious influence, there was nothing special about them whatsoever. They could have been people that would have just been passed by and not noticed. And yet, God has a knack of revealing himself to unlikely people, unexpected people. And I guess if you ever wondered, could God ever do that to me? The answer from this passage is a resounding yes. Because that's exactly what he did with Simeon and Anna. And although they weren't socially, politically, or religiously influential, they were spiritually influential and there is a big difference in that there were two people who were devoted and they both had the same expectation of the coming of the messiah even at an older age they never lost that hunger to see the one that was promised and what strikes me in anna's life and i think at the end of the year this is something that probably as we close a chapter and open another one would be worth looking at. The first thing that really strikes me is we need to learn to respond well to hardships. We need to learn to respond well to hardships. Just as Ian was echoing, I I love those stories that we heard earlier on because they were raw and real. And frankly, I can identify both with what Hannah said and what Ian said. And there is nothing like having that sense of reality. This is life. 
this is not easy. And for Anna, it wasn't easy. She was a prophetess, and this would have been quite unique in the Old Testament context. A prophet in the Old Testament was somebody who spoke on behalf of God, bringing either warning or encouragement. We don't know exactly how she functioned. She was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Frankly, not one of the significant tribes of Israel. So there was nothing there that was special. But we find out that she was advanced in years, Luke is saying, having lived with her husband seven years, and then a widow until she was 84. Commentators are trying to find out what age she was. Suffice to say that they range between 84 and 104. She was advanced in age. But what is clear is that she made that decision after she became a widow to not depart from the temple, worshipping and fasting and praying day and night. Life had been very difficult for Anna, right from the outset. Having been married, probably around the age of 14, 15, which would have been the custom of the time, and then at the age of what it seems like in her early 20s, she would have been a widow. A widow in that context would have been a very vulnerable person. A wife in a patriarchal society would have been dependent on a husband who would provide for her. We don't know anything about the context and the detail, but one thing is for sure, she would have found herself at a very early age, both heartbroken to lose the one that she loved, but also in a very vulnerable state. Who would have blamed her if she turned against God. If she would have just said, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? He would have blamed her if she would have rejected anything to do with God because she would have felt that this would have been so unfair for her to experience this. But she didn't. In the face of hardship, she made a decision not to blame God or bail out on God but to throw herself fully into God's arms. So she chose to go to the temple and spend her life in worship. She didn't choose to rebuild her life or to seek economic security. She made that choice to cling to God and to throw herself into his capable hands. This year has convinced me more than ever that as followers of Jesus, as part of the church, we need to stare this painful truth in the face that life is hard and hardships are real, even for those who follow God. And the big question, the big challenge that I face and Anna faced and probably you faced at different stages throughout the year or maybe even now is how do we respond to these And my encouragement looking at Anna's life, and it's not just a simplistic preacher's say, it's it's a heartfelt call, is to throw ourselves again in God's capable arms when life's hard. Doesn't always change circumstances. Her husband didn't come back to life. She didn't live, you know, to be... 84 or 104 with her husband with I don't know how many children and grandchildren and grand-grandchildren. That's not how the story goes. But she made that choice to throw herself into God's hands. 
And right before the finishing line, she sees Jesus, the Messiah. And that's the encouragement I want us to take to heart at the end of a hard year. And at, you know, the threshold of another year, which I don't have a clue what will bring. But hardships are real, even for us. And how we process them. We can choose to numb them. We can choose to pretend they're not there. But honestly, they won't go away. My encouragement is to continually let God come in, be part of our lives. When faced with hardship, at least for me, the hardest battle is the battle of control. With everything with myself, I want to control circumstances. I want to control situation. I want to control diagnosis. I want to control outcomes. And I can't. I'll let you into a secret. I am not God. And neither are you. And my only choice, the right choice, is to surrender to God. And to let God be part of this journey. How will it go? I don't know. But I know that he is the good shepherd who makes that promise that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I am with you. And that's the encouragement that we get from Anna's life and the encouragement that we can take as we finish one year and prepare ourselves for the next. So remember, learn to respond well to hardships by surrendering to God. The second choice that she made is to choosing to grow spiritually. Again, she could have invested into build, rebuilding another family, and that would have been absolutely fine. There's, there's no right or wrong. But somehow she made that choice, and she looked at the opportunities that she had, and she said, I want to devote my life to God, and I'm going to choose to invest spiritually. And what she did, she just spent time around the temple. It says... Here, Luke is describing she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. Choose to grow spiritually. I can't stress that strongly enough. And of course, I'm going to say that. I am your pastor. That's the desire of my heart, not just for me, but for you as well. But it is an important reminder because like Ian was saying, we, we I, we drift into this lulling sense of departing from being in a, in a situation and in a life passionate for God. It, it, it's just like diets. It's just like exercise. It, we just kind of begin to let it slide and let it slide and let it slide. And before we know, we've gone far away. And maybe at the end of this year, it's good to be reminded from Anna's life to choose to grow spiritually. And she, she was a prophetess, and a prophetess, as I said before, she had a, that double um, mission, one to serve God and to serve people. And that's what God is calling us to do, to serve him and to serve others. And the fuel of that service is exactly that devotional life with God. And he breaks down here, Luke breaks it down for us, and he says she is hanging around the temple all the time, and she is praying and fasting. Those are three marks, and they would have been important parts of a life of a devout Jewish person. But it's important to remind ourselves that this choice to grow spiritually has to be intentional. 
none of us are going to gravitate towards spiritual growth unless we're going to be intentional about it. If you expect to just slide into growing up spiritually or growing deeper spiritually without being intentional, without setting aside, without paying the price, without being disciplined, it just won't happen. I remember that Mark describes in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that Jesus had a busy ministry day previously, healing loads of people. And then the disciples find him early next morning, withdrawing himself out into the wilderness and praying. That was an intentional devotional action. Didn't, Jesus didn't just stay in bed and thinking, oh, I'm going to get myself refreshed, and I'm going to get perspective, and I'm going to get anointing from God by just, just sitting in bed. No, he got up early in the morning while it was still dark, Mark is writing. And he went into the wilderness all by himself. It didn't matter that others didn't come. So many times in our spiritual growth, we go, oh, well, no, but no one else is doing it. That's not the way it works. And Jesus did it. And if he needed it, I do. And she persevered all those years. She stuck with those spiritual disciplines. They would have been difficult, as you and I know. How many of us start, you know, I love to read throughout the whole Bible. I think it's absolutely essential, particularly in this day and age, in the evangelical circles, to read throughout all the scriptures. There is a, there's a terrible Old Testament illiteracy that is there. And, and we end up having a skewed image of who God is. But there are difficult passages. You get yourself into Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and actually, I, I can quite cope. It's for me the depression sets in when I get into Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. I'm just like, oh my word, this is just so grim. The sin and rebellion of people is so heartbreaking. It's so hard to read. It's not that the passage is difficult. It's just heartbreaking to read. But it's so important to keep at it, persevere as she did for all those years. She stayed in the temple. And here's the thing that I keep noticing in Scripture. Those who plan and prepare themselves to grow spiritually end up having an encounter with Jesus, like she did. It's strange how that happens, isn't it? If we prepare ourselves, if we plan, if we're intentional about our spiritual growth and invest in that, we will encounter Christ. So my encouragement to you, I don't know what do you do New Year's resolutions. Uh, I tend to do New Year's revolutions. <laughs> but I think it's a good opportunity to reevaluate. How, how, how is your prayer life? How is your Bible reading life? How is your church attending? How is your connect group attendance? How is your serving both in the church and in the community? How is your witnessing? How are we doing devotionally? It's a great opportunity to reinvest in that and throw ourselves into growing in God like Anna did. And then the amazing thing, the third thing, and this is the last thing that, that I want us to take to heart this morning. Luke says, after not departing from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
So after learning to respond well to hardship, after choosing to grow spiritually, make it your goal to introduce others to Jesus. Introduce others to Jesus. I love the way Luke describes what's going on here. Because it says, after the encounter that she had with Jesus, she began to give thanks to God. That was the first reaction. And to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let me say this really strongly. I've lived now, even both in terms of life and church leadership experience, through tons and tons of movements and revivals and renewals and everything you want to call them. And I've still not seen many that had a deep and lasting impact on non-believers in a local community. And for me, the benchmark of a real move of God is an encounter with God that leads to a real impact on the lives of those that don't know Jesus around us and in the whole local community in a powerful way. I think it's the overflow principle that we we keep talking about as a church. As we encounter God, something dramatic happens to us that will have an overflow effect onto the lives of those around us, both in terms of those that we know in the local community and as well as the wider local community. So some of the authentic revivals of the past, this is what you would use to hear, a radical transformation of a local community. You know, some of the Hebridean uh, stories that are coming after the, the, the revivals in the Hebrides was the impact that, in particular, the revival was having on local pubs and the alcoholism that was ravaging local communities. Same with the Welsh revival. So there was a noticeable difference in, in the way people reacted. One of those that stuck with me ever, ever since I was a, a, an early teen was that of the Welsh revival and the difficulty that the, the miners were having as they used donkeys, I think, to try to get the coal out of the mines. And for, for quite a while, there was a real difficulty with the work because the donkeys were used to respond to swear words as commands. And because the language as a result of the revival had been cleaned up by the inworking of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, they weren't able to use the same words and the donkeys wouldn't respond to the commands. You know. But that's the kind of outworking. And this is what is happening. As Anna meets Jesus, she has to tell other people. It has to work like that. And what I like about it is that she is talking to those in particular. There's a very specific group of people that she's talking. She's speaking to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Dig a little bit deeper in here. In order to talk to those who are waiting for the Messiah, for the deliverance of Jerusalem, she had to know them. And she had to know what they were passionate about. It wasn't just randomly speaking to everybody. No, no, no. She was speaking to very specific people. Dare I say, she built this relational bank. 
There were these people who were a circle of friends and acquaintances, the people that were passionate about the return of the Messiah. She built a relationship with them. And when she met the Messiah, she was able to go to them and speak exactly into their longings. That's how God works. God is calling me and you to build this relational bank of people. And we, we understand their longings. We understand what they're going through. And when we meet the Messiah, we are able to speak, as the Holy Spirit inspires us, right into those questions, right into those longings. Because God is the answer for every single one of those challenges. And that's what she did. She was able to communicate because she understood. She already connected with them. The peril of the modern day Christian is that we become so isolated into our own little lives and enclaves of doing church stuff that very often we've lost the connection. And when we meet Jesus, we've got no one to talk to. And when we do, sometimes we're just not connecting because we don't take time to listen and hear what people are going through, what people are thinking, and make that connection between Jesus, who is the truth, the way, and the life, and those questions that people have. Anna did that. And then she was able to speak right into their lives, introducing them to the good news that Jesus brought. That's the right way to go about it. We have an encounter that actually begins to create an expression in our lives, speaking of the good news, speaking of Jesus to those around us. It reminds me of the Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered. And again, it's the same reaction. It's the same overflow principle. She meets this Jesus who speaks into her questions, into her messes, into her sin, if you want, into her troubles, into her difficulties. And she's mesmerized because he knows everything and also he's not judging her. So therefore, she's not even sent by Jesus to go back into town without anybody telling her what to do. There is this overflow principle at work in which the same thing happens. She encounters Jesus. He's so good. He's such good news. He can't stay as a secret. She has to take that. And she goes back into town and she does it the way she knows. And she tells everybody, here is this man I've met and he told me everything about myself. And then people go and find Jesus and there's a powerful unexpected impact of Jesus upon the Samaritans. Same thing. Same desire to introduce others to Jesus. Rico Tice, who is an evangelist and a, a, a vicar, wrote recently, uh, and you would have heard this saying before, but it's more poignant in the context in which he heard it. He said, I'll never forget a funeral at which one lady said to me, Rico, do you know what failure is? And he said, no, tell me. She said, failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. 
And then Rico, thinking about these words, he says, success is hearing well done from the only lips that matter, those of Jesus. And failure is being successful at the things that don't truly matter at all. And that's why at the end of a year, as we're ready to close a chapter and open an unwritten book ahead of us, be worth to take to heart those things from Anna's life. Susan David, who's a Harvard psychologist, wrote something very interesting in June 2020. And I came across this and I thought, I think there's something in this. So this is June 2020. We've journeyed since. She was speaking about the effect that the pandemic, quarantine, forced introspection, priorities, how all those were kind of mixing together in, in, in people's minds. What happens right now is that we become hooked into an autopilot mode of living with all of our habits and our routines. Often we're very impacted by social contagion. So, you know, someone else gets a promotion, we want to get a promotion. Someone else wants to drive a particular car, the whole experience of living up to the Joneses. And with all the things that we've got to do, we just don't have the opportunity to actually be with ourselves, to be with our difficult emotions, and maybe to use those difficult emotions. And Susan David was arguing that actually probably the pandemic and the quarantine provided an opportunity of a reset for all of us. I, as a pastor, in my incredibly feeble and probably flawed attempt to understand what the Lord could be doing for me spiritually and for us, I had the same sense that maybe for the church, for the believers, 21st century believers, this could have been an opportunity. Not that God caused it, but it could have been redemptively used as an opportunity for a reset, for a change, for maybe a time of stopping and looking at our lives and looking at what we're doing and not doing and thinking, what is the Lord requiring of us? Unfortunately, it lasted for a little bit. And then as soon as we could, we've been so eager to say, return to normal, and then return to the new normal. Change is hard. Mark Twain famously used to say, the only person who desires change is a wet baby. It's true. Change is hard. But I think God can use even the challenging opportunities we're in And I even thought over the last few months, maybe this thing is dragging. Maybe even God is allowing us an opportunity to maybe pick up something we've missed in terms of that change and emerge out of it with a greater devotion for him. On his deathbed, Matthew Henry is fascinatingly a Bible commentator and, and many of you would be familiar with uh, Matthew Henry's commentary over the, on, on the whole Bible. Wrote a commentary about 300 years ago, and it, it's, it's still uh, extremely useful today. But he was speaking to a friend of his on his deathbed, thinking of a 
life well lived. And he said that to him. You have been used to take notice of of sayings of dying men. And here is mine. A life spent in the service of God and communion with him is the most pleasant anyone can live in this world. And it's true. It's Anna's story. It wasn't an easy life. The world around her probably would have put her into the tragic life category. But actually, in terms of eternity, in terms of what really matters, in terms of the well done that Jesus gives, she lived a well-lived life. At the end of this year, my encouragement to us all is to really look at the way we respond to hardship. It's to invest devotionally and to tell other people about Jesus so that we, just like Anna, would be able to live that well-lived life. Amen. Let me pray for us as David comes and leads us into a final song in committing ourselves to Jesus and making Jesus the center of attention. He's already there. You guys sneak up. You're very good. Let's pray together. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you that in reality, although we celebrate Christmas once a year, the truth and the impact of your coming into our world is tangible on every single moment, breathing moment, of our lives. Without you coming into our world, we would be lost, hopeless, pitiable. And because of you, everything changed. And all we want to do is just to simply give you our hearts. You don't need any expensive presence. You just want us. And this morning we want to, as we sing this final song as a, as a prayer, as a commitment, as a desire, as a cry of our heart, to say, Jesus, here is our heart. You have it. We want to follow you into the minutes and hours and days and weeks and years ahead, whatever you have for us. We want to live for you. We want to live through you so that you would be glorified and so that others around us will find out how good you are. Thank you that as we are feeble, Holy Spirit is strong to help us to live this life, this well-lived life. Amen.